the Tennis Gambling Podcast on the Sports Game Podcast Network is brought to you by Prize Picks. Go to prizepicks.com slash SGPN and use code SGPN for your first deposit match up to $100. We're also brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets, the sports betting research platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit HOFBets.com. Use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month and start making smarter bets today. We're also brought to you by Game Time. Game Time has the last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Use promo code CFBX for $20 off your first purchase. Welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Gambling Podcast. And it is currently early Monday morning, November 6th. And I'm your host, so is Scott Rochelle, once again, going solo for this pod. Should be a short episode, at least shorter than you're expecting, because we have one tournament to talk about. And you might be wondering, Scott, are you not aware that there are two events taking place this week? Yes, I am. And normally, because of the fact that there are multiple events taking place this week, normally we would do both tournaments in one episode, preview tournament A, then preview tournament B, lock and dog picks, end of the show. However, I realized that when I was looking at the calendar, that the events are overlapping but not starting at the same time because Mets is starting on Monday while Sophia is starting on Tuesday. So for that reason, I thought it would make a lot more sense to actually break up the two tournaments into two separate episodes because there is a day gap between the start of them. So for this reason, we're going to be going with the Mets-only episode here and the Sophia-only episode will be taking place on Tuesday or Monday evening. So keep an eye out for that. But the point is we did divide it into two episodes. So if you were expecting a long 45-plus-minute episode previewing both tournaments, you're not going to get it. You're going to be getting one episode for Mets and one episode for Sophia. So there's good and bad with that. The first thing is that, once again, we're going to be doing more picks because you have a lock and dog pick for Mets and a lock and dog pick for Sophia. So there are more picks to go around. As for the bad news, you have to do a little bit of digging and look for each episode individually if you want my overall outrights for both tournaments. So that's kind of the pros and cons of the equation, but I do think it makes a lot more sense based on the delayed start time for Sophia. I don't know why. They're doing this because, once again, it is going to be the same amount of players at these events. It's a 250. You have 28 players at these two events. So it doesn't really make any sense to start one after the other in terms of a day later. But I'm not the one who came up with the schedule. It is what it is. So for that reason, we are going to talk about the most sell open only in this episode. Now, before we get into any of that, do want to recap what happened in the Sunday final in the Paris Masters between Djokovic and Medvedev. Starting off with the lock and dog picks did not go well, went 0 for 2. For the lock had Djokovic team total over 12 and a half games, and the dog was kind of correlated as we had Djokovic and Dimitrov over two and a half sets at plus 130. Now the problem that lies here was the fact that we expected Dimitrov to show up and play well because he had been playing well for the entire tournament. We saw him involved in a decent amount of long matches against good competition, and he was looking good. Probably the best tournament that he's overall played in a long time because he made a Masters 1000 final for the first time in several years, and he was looking for his first ever title since about six or seven years ago. And we thought Djokovic would win. At no point do we think Dimitrov would actually win the match. However, we saw Djokovic struggling physically, and we saw him going to a couple of marathons against Greek Spore and Rune and Rublev. And we were hoping that both of them would kind of meet in the middle, and you would see Djokovic winning a competitive three-set match. That was the goal for the tournament. However, I'm sure if you've listened to the show for a long time, for a year or two plus, you know 
I am very, very anti-Dimitrov. And the reason why that why I am has nothing to do with his personality. I know Dimitrov is one of the more likable guys on tour, and I know that a lot of players love him because he's very fun and he's very nice in general, but I don't like him as a player because of the amount of hype surrounding him for his entire career. And I personally believe that Dimitrov is one of the biggest underachievers that we've seen in the last 10, 15 years on tour, which sounds harsh, but when you think about it and you think of all the early career comparisons to Federer, it makes sense. And Dimitrov was a former top four guy. He was potentially going to be a multiple time Grand Slam winner, a guy that would, I don't want to say, you know, steal the thunder of the big three, but a guy that would challenge the big three, kind of like a Warenka type when you think about it. And it didn't happen. Dimitrov was looking like a guy who'd be a serious threat for the first couple of years. And then his career went haywire, and he didn't win a thing for the last six years. Now, once again, he's not won a title since 2017. Gasquet won a title this year. That tells you, once again, why I'm a bit low on Dimitrov and why I hold him to a bit of a harsher standard. It's because he's expected to do a lot of stuff in his career, doesn't do any of it, and I call him out for it. So I think he's one of the bigger underachievers. And you're looking at the spot. And once again, Djokovic battling some injury issues. We saw the back massage he was getting against Rublev. And I thought, okay, Dimitrov maybe can make the match interesting. He might be able to challenge Djokovic to some degree. He won't win, but he might push Djokovic to another gear, and Djokovic would find a way to get it done. That didn't happen because Dimitrov got buried, simply put. And in one of his bigger matches in his career, he once again did nothing, and he fell short. Now, Djokovic looked good, all things being considered, but I do think the main area that I have to call Dimitrov out for was his returning. Because even in that win against Tsitsipas, he didn't really return well. He was okay. It was really Tsitsipas being unable to, to uh, return at all. But Dimitrov did not get a single break point in the entire match against the guy who was battling injuries all tournament long. Zero break point chances. And that's, once again, why I'm kind of annoyed at not just Dimitrov, but myself. Because I put faith in this guy, this historical career choker to not embarrass himself once in a final. And he did. Now, I know once again, facing off against Djokovic is definitely the hardest task possible because I think Djokovic is the best player of all time. But if you get a physically compromised opponent and you're looking for your first title in basically six years, you have to put up a better effort than that. That's all I'm trying to say. Now, is Dimitrov playing terribly? Maybe not completely awful like Djokovic played well don't get me wrong but the fact that he had no breakpoint chances in the entire match is just so sad to see and the fact that Dimitrov is 32 and the fact that he won the ATP finals in 2017 tells you how the mighty have fallen for him and how he's really he peaked in 2017 and just did nothing after that and it's just annoying, at least for me, that I've criticized this guy for a year and a half, and I kind of reneged on it, and I gave him the worst thing I could have done. Faith. I had faith in the guy, who has not won a title since 2017. It is isn't. It is a bit insane that he won four separate titles in 2017, including the ATP Finals in 2017, and he has not won a tournament since. So Dimitrov once again fell short against Djokovic. The head-to-head dominance continues, and unfortunately for me, I gave some faith to Dimitrov when I've preached time and time again to not trust this guy, 
and he came back to bite us. So it is what it is. Djokovic won another title, add another Masters 1000 title to his belt. He's going to try to close in on Connor's record, and it's probably going to get there, to be honest, if he stays healthy. But Djokovic adds another big title to his career, and you're looking at Dimitrov once again looking for, for his first title since 2017. Either way, that's going to wrap it up for the actual preview of the Paris Masters final. I got nothing more to add. Djokovic did Djokovic things. Dimitrov did Dimitrov things, and as a result, Djokovic won in straight sets. But anyway, time to get in to the Mets preview. So we're going to start off with the actual history of the Macell Open. Starting off with last year, we ended up seeing Sonigo beat Bublik in the final. Uh, you might remember that one because we actually had Bublik to win the tournament, and he ended up losing in the final, and he kind of lost interest after losing that first set via tiebreak. And the year before that, you had Hercatch taking on Karenia Busta. Uh, Hercatch won, did not take place in 2020 because of COVID. You had uh, Sanga winning in 2019, Simone winning in 2018. Uh, you had, once again, a bunch of players who are kind of afterthoughts or retired at this point. So a lot of, I'd say there is one, I'd say that there's a lot of forgotten names if you go down to the actual history of this event. But for the sake of the last couple of years, there has been one general theme, which does translate to the actual uh, ace percentage that we've seen in years past. This is a one of the this is one of the faster hard court events of the year. Now it's not insanely fast, but it is still fast, and I definitely think that a good serve is going to matter more here than, for example, Indian Wells. I think that having a good serve does matter, and I do think that is one of the takeaways that you can draw from both court stats as well as the general narrative surrounding who made the final in the last couple of years. So to go through the actual odds for the quarters, we're going to start off by going through the first quarter onward. First quarter, Bublik is plus 120. Sonigo is plus 375, which is kind of wild. They have the two finals from last year in the same quarter, which is definitely odd. Uh, you have Giron at 5 to 1, you have Gaston at 6 to 1, Seabolt Wild at 7 to 1, Fognini at 12 to 1, and that's basically it. So, obviously, Seabolt Wild, Fognini and the long shot no chance. They're not winning this quarter. Uh Seabolt Wild is a terrible hardcore player and Fognini is like Seabolt Wild where they are bad on hardcore at the stage in their careers where they don't even bother. They play clay challengers and they don't do any hardcore and when they do they get embarrassed, so I'm not going to bother with Seabolt Wild or Fagnini. Now, to go through the overall path of the top-tier guys, I'll start with Bublik, because Bublik was a guy who uh, won a title, actually, a couple of weeks ago on hard court, made the final here last year, and he has a good serve, so he does check some boxes. Now, the problem with Bublik is he's a head case, but to go through the actual path, it is a pretty solid draw, because Bublik has a bye in the first round, then either Seabolt Wild or Fagnini which Bublik should win, then either Sonigo, Giron, Gaston, or Relative Unknown. But the point is Giron and Sonigo are scheduled to face off against each other in the first round. So one of those two is going to lose. So Bublik has a very easy path with a bye or and Seabolt Wild or Fagnini. And the second uh, favorite and the third favorite play against each other into the first round. And then the winner of that match would play the fourth favorite. So once again, Bublik, I have to play because this draw 
is so easy for him that I have to give him out. Now, if you want me to pick somebody else, Sonigo won the title last year, but he's had a pretty interesting season. Not really that great, kind of underachieving, to be honest. And Giron has been good lately. He did get buried by Umber in the last match that we saw him in. But the point is, Giron, I do think, has the game to beat the likes of Sonigo. We saw him beat Bubla comfortably earlier this year. So I do think when you're looking at who can make a somewhat deep run, Sonigo is a favorite in this first-round match. It is pretty close, though. So if you want to actually just talk about the odds for a second, Sonigo is about minus 120, and Giron is around even money. So you can argue that that match is a basic coin flip. So I do think for the sake of the value, I do think there's value on Giron, because I do think that whoever wins this match should beat Gaston in the round of 16. And if you want to look at the head-to-head between Giron and between Sonigo... They've never played against each other, so there is really no information, but I do think that Giron has the recent form to beat Sonigo, and I do think that there is some value with that match, or that that's just a long shot with Giron. So for me, I think my two picks are going to be on Bublik at plus 120 and Giron at 5-1. to one. Moving on to the second quarter, you have Umber at plus 110, you have Brary at plus 225, Team at plus 375, Watanuki at 7-1, Mayad at 50-1, to and a relative unknown Frenchman at 50-1. to So to start off with the favorite here, I think Umber is worthy of being a favorite because he has been really good lately, and I got to give him credit. Now, he does have a bye in the first round. Then he'd face off against either Team or uh, Martinau, who is a lucky loser. I'm giving Martinau no chance in hell, so that's why I didn't mention him. Now, I do think if you want to look for some potential value here, it would be with the other half, because Team would probably face off against Umber. I would pick Umber on that match, but I do think that Team can, in theory, make it interesting, because Umber has been no stranger to three-set matches recently either. Now, Umber is the local country guy, because this is taking place in France, and as a result, there are a lot of Frenchmen in attendance for this event. So you might see a decent amount of Frenchmen that fit the bill of being a home country guy to pick to potentially make a run. But Umber has been in good form, simply put. And I do think that when you're looking at team, he's been a, he's been better lately, still not great, but he's been miles behind Umber based on ATP tournament results over the last couple of weeks. And I think Umber should beat him. But I think Umber is worthy of being the favorite, and I am going to pick him in the spot. The question is, who do I want to take for the second spot? Because Brary ended up beating Hoffman, a pretty good win in the first round. Watanuki's taking on Myatt, which I do think Myatt's pretty live in. Watanuki's been in good form, but Myatt does have the home country angle. He went through qualifying. I think Myatt can maybe make the match interesting. So I do think that Myatt is pretty live to actually get the job done in that spot. So I do think if I'm looking for a potential... I'd say long shot candidate. I do think Myatt can maybe check that box. And they've never faced off against each other, Myatt and Barreri, at least on the ATP level. They have faced off on hard court in a challenger event in 2022, and Barreri did win in straight sets. I think for the sake of the odds here, I think that I'm going to go with three people. I'm going to go with Umber at plus 110. I'm going to go with Barreri at plus 225. And I think I will go with Myatt at 20-1. to 1. I know I'm going to lose a guy in the first round because Barreri and Myatt are playing against each other. Watanuki, I think, has talent, but I don't think he would end up winning against 
Um, actually, I don't automatically lose somebody in the first round. I automatically lose somebody in the round of 16 because you would have Barreri against what could be Myatt. But I do think that Myatt is capable of beating Watanuki, and I do think that plus 190 for Myatt money line in that match, by the way, seems a little bit high. But Watanuki's been in good form. I do think, though, that Myatt's pretty capable of getting this done. And I do think that Barreri, with the home country advantage and with Myatt having the home country advantage, can beat Watanuki, which means there's value on both those guys. Now, if Watanuki does win it, it's unfortunate for us, but it's two thousand. It's plus 2,000 for Myatt, which I think is a good deal. So I am going to go with that. So once again, my three picks for the second quarter, give me Umber at plus 110, Barreri at plus 225, and give me Myatt at 20 to 1. Moving on to the third quarter, you have Kashanov as the favorite at minus 105. You have Altmaier at 4 to 1. You have Shevchenko at 450, plus TN at 550, and a couple of long shots who I'm not giving a real chance. So for this quarter, simply put, give me Kashanov. I'm not going to waste much time on it. I think that Kashanov is the best player here by Country Mile. I think that he has the good serve, good forehand. He really checks a lot of boxes for what I'm looking for, for a potential champion at this event for the faster-paced courts at this venue. Kashanov has a bye, then probably facing off against Les Tien, who's the opposite, who Les Tien is... Les Tien's a guy who is kind of a junk ball hitter, who doesn't have much pace, keeps the ball in play, and really does not have a good serve. I think Ashana would bury him if they faced off in the second round. And then on the other side, you have Altmaier, who's really not a great hardcore player. And you have probably Shevchenko, if I had to guess. If I had to go with a second guy, I would pick Shevchenko at 450. But I do think for the sake of this quarter, simply put, I think that Kashanov is the best player here. And I am going to go with him. If you want to throw in a little sprinkle on Shevchenko at 450, I don't hate it. But I do think that Kashanov should win the quarter. So I am going to pick him at minus 105. And moving on to the fourth quarter, you have Dimenauer at minus 110. You have Warenka at 333. You have Dezanschulp at 333. You have Herbert, who's, I'm sure, a name that you've not seen in a while. He's been busy in the uh, challenger level with doubles, and he's had some injuries over the years. But you have Van Asha at 14 to 1, and you also have Zapata Marais for some reason who's here at 22 to 1. Now, Dimenauer should be the favorite because his overall ranking is a lot higher than the other players. Now, Warenka is a guy that I don't trust to actually win a couple of competitive matches in a row because of stamina purposes and the lack of time off in between matches. And I think that you're going to see some problems here for Warenka because of it. Now, luckily for him, his first-round match is a gift because he's against Zapata Marias, who's atrocious on hard court. But you're looking at the Zanschulp taking on Van Ash, which should be a pretty tough first-round match. I would lean to the Zanschulp because I think that he has more firepower. And I think Van Ash, even though he is a consistent player, really doesn't wow you in terms of skill. He's more of an out-rallier kind of guy where he will try to wear you down physically and he'll try to get by, but he's relatively short, doesn't have a good serve, and I think the Zanschulp would overpower him over the course of that match. And I think that he would do the same against Warenka in the next round. I think that Dimenauer should beat Herbert because Herbert had a nice win against another wild card in the first round, but Dimenauer is definitely the better player, and I don't think it's close. Now, Herbert's been in pretty good form lately, but you're looking at uh, Dimenauer being up 2-1 to one in the head-to-head. They have not faced off since 2019. They did split both meetings on hard court, one in 2018 one in 2019, a long time ago, but the point is Dimenauer has been in better form, and I do think that he would be able to beat Herbert in this spot. But I think for me, the value is going to be on 
it's interesting because the Zanchop, I think, has the highest upside of the top section of this quarter. But facing off against Vanasha is not a great first-round matchup, especially in France. I think for this one, I am an only to Dezanchel, who I think has been playing some good tennis lately. I was impressed by how he looked in the last event, where he was able to go through qualifying, beat Tommy Paul, eventually lost to Rublev, but still played well. So for me, I'm going to go with uh, Dimenauer at minus 110, and I am going to go with Dezanchel at plus 333 as my outrights. Thought about Herbert for the 11-1 to fun long shot, but I just don't think he's going to do it. So give me those two, and that's going to wrap it up for the quarters. So once again, my picks for the quarters for Mets. First quarter will be Bublik at plus 120 and Giron at 5-1. to Second quarter will be Her- uh, Umber at plus 110, Barreri at 225, and we'll go with Mayad as my super long shot at 20-1. to For the third quarter, I'm going to go with Kashanov at minus 105 and a little bit on Shevchenko at plus 450, but mostly Kashanov. I think he's going to be able to win this quarter somewhat easily. And moving on to the final quarter, I have Dimenauer at minus 110 and Dezan at plus 333. Moving on to the actual outrights to win the event. To go through the odds for the favorites here, you have Dimenauer at 5-1, to one, you have Umber at 5-1, to one, you have Kashanov at 5-1, to one, and you have Bublik at 550, which makes sense because, once again, I'm picking the favorites to win these quarters. And I gave out a couple of long shots as well, but the point is I do think that you're going to see these guys clearly separate themselves in terms of talent over the course of this event. At least that's my opinion. Bublik's a head case, but I'm hoping he has unfinished, unfinished business here where he actually realizes, I could have won this title last year, let me get it done, and he's going to actually try. It's always risky to gamble on Bublik trying, but his path is so easy early on, I have to consider it. But I do think for the sake of the favorites here, Bublik I'm picking to win the quarter. Can I pick him at plus 550? I don't know if I can, because I still don't trust him. And I'm picking him because his buy into the matchup against Fagnini or another easy opponent after in the second round is just a gift. So I think he should be able to get to the semis, but I don't trust him to actually dig in and dig deep when things get difficult. So I think I have to pass on Bublik as much as I want to, but I think that he's going to be a guy that I will pick to make a somewhat respectable run, but not to actually win the whole thing. Kind of like Rune in Basel where we thought he would be able to potentially make a run as a Cinderella in his group, but we just did not think he'd be capable of actually winning the event. I kind of view Bublik the same way. If he proves me wrong, good for him. But I don't trust him, and I think 550 is too short because of his lack of constant effort. So for me, the first pick's going to be easy. Give me Kashanov at plus 500. I think he is the best player here by a wide margin. I think it's kind of weird that his odds are the exact same as Dimenauer and Umber. Umber's quarter is not easy. Dimenauer can get upset, but his quarter is not bad either. Kashanov, though, I think that his draw is quite favorable, and I do think that he's in line to make it to the semis. We saw him have a pretty good run in the Masters 1000 event in the past week before eventually losing to Sitsipas. But facing off against Listien off a bye and then probably Shevchenko, it's a very solid set of uh, matches for him. Then you face off against probably Dimenauer, but it could be Dezanchol, but I do think that you're looking at Kashanov having the, my guess is the uh, betting line of being a favorite in that head-to-head matchup against Dimenauer. So give me 5-1. to one. I like that price a lot, and I think there's some value on that. Now, if I wanted to go for a potential long shot to win 
this event. I think the Zan Schulp is potentially worth something. I'm not sure if it is worth the even money or not, or if he should be priced higher. So that's where it gets a bit interesting because the Zan Schulp, I think, at 14 to 1, though, when I'm shopping around, 14 to 1, I'll take. I think 10 to 1 on DraftKings is really not a great price, but I did find 14 to 1. 14 to 1, I think I'm going to take. Now, once again, it is a problem that he's facing off against Van Ash in the first round. So he could lose early, but I do think that he is talented enough to make a potential, I don't want to say Cinderella run, but I think he's talented enough to beat Dimenauer. And I do think that Van Ash is definitely inferior in terms of talent to the Zanschulp. So I think I am going to make a case for Dezanchulp here at 14 to 1. I like the odds. Now, I think it is pretty telling that Sonigo, despite winning the title last year, is around 16 to 1. I'm not picking him. I didn't pick him to win the quarter. But I do think, uh, do I think Giron can do it? I think I have to take Giron because Giron was able to bury Bublik earlier this year. And at 14 to 1, for a guy that's been in good form recently, I think it is appealing. Now, I did find plus 2,000. 2,000, I got to take. I think that's a great price for a guy that's been in good form. Now, I am aware that Umber buried him uh, about a week or two ago, so that is a bit concerning. Umber just beat him twice in the span of about three weeks. But I think that 20-1 to 1 is a good price, and he will be my long shot. So once again, my picks here for the event, I'm going to go with Kashanov at plus 500, and I am going to go with Giron at plus 2,000, and I also will go with Dezanschulp at uh, plus 1,400. But that's going to wrap it up for the actual outrights. Now it's time for the Lock and Dog picks for the matches. But before we get into any of that, kind of a quick word from our sponsor. We're brought to you by Prize Picks. With the basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League. League created specifically for combo projections that include two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, you can group together LeBron James and Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three pointers made and receptions. Plus, Prize Picks even offers a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play even. If one of your players gets injured, which is a very cool feature for football and basketball games, if you have a player in your entry who exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second half, that player is rebooted. Prize Picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. Go to prizepicks.com slash SGPN and use code SGPN for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash SGPN code SGPN. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. We're also brought to you by Game Time. I don't know about all of you, but I personally love attending sport events in person. It used to be very difficult to actually find a ticketing platform that I could trust, but that changed when I found Game Time because Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all these sports, music, comedy, and theaters near you. And I do personally love one feature on the app in particular, which is the Images of Seat Use feature. Now, I'm sure we've all had a moment where we have bought some tickets in the past. We thought it would be a very fun experience. We get to our seats, we sit down, and next thing you know, there is something blocking my line of vision. I'm sure we've all had that happen before, and you went from having a great time to immediately realizing you wasted money because you can't see anything that you actually paid to see. That will not happen because of this feature on the app, so I recommend using, once again, the GameTime app. GameTime is the place for last-minute ticket deals as well. Forget plenty months in advance. GameTime has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. And the GameTime guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, GameTime will credit you 110% 
of the difference. Same tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code CFBX for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code CFBX for twenty dollars off. Download Game Time. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. We're also brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets. Win bigger, betting smarter. This NFL season with Hall of Fame Bets, the sports betting analytics platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Research every NFL, NBA, MLB, and soccer bet with historical stats and data. Enter any parlay idea into Hall of Fame Bets' revolutionary parlay optimizer tool to get hit rates broken down by leg, as well as an expected probability for the entire parlay. Sort all players by hit rate for any bet to learn which players are hot and which picks have value. Stop betting in the dark and join over 30,000 users researching with Hall of Fame Bets to craft more intelligent, data-driven parlays. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit hofbets.com and use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month today. Start researching, start winning with Hall of Fame Bets. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the uh, outrights for Mets. Now it's time for the actual lock and dog picks. Starting off with the lock, I am going to go to a matchup between two veterans on tour. I'm going to go to a matchup between Warrenka and Zapata Marias. And for me, I'm going to go with Zapata Marias team total under eight and a half games at minus 125 as my lock. Simply put, Zapata Marias, we know, is an atrocious hardcore player. He's always been, he's the definition of a clay court specialist. But if you want to look at his recent per- performances, he's been even worse than expected because he's battled some injuries. So to go through, the last couple of weeks. He beat Hong in a Davis Cup match, a relative unknown player, but still, he won a hardcourt match. Then it went downhill, and Astana lost 7-6-6-3. In Shanghai, lost 6-1-7-6 to Nakashima. Then in Malaga, he ended up getting injured after the first set, lost the first set 6-2 to Kobuli, then retired. And then in Paris, he played against Wolf, lost 6-1-2-0, and retired again. So in addition to losing in straight sets or I should say not winning a set in each of his last four singles matches on hard court. He also retired mid-match in his last two matches. So that tells me he's really not at 100%. Now, the argument, once again, would be, well, how do I maximize value if Zapata Marais retires mid-match? And in reality, you really can't. The only thing you can do is take a first set spread, which I'm not going to do because Walrenka isn't a slam dunk to just bury people that he should bury. I recognize Walrenka is sometimes a head case and sometimes makes matches more difficult than they need to be. So I am going to stay away from the first set spread, but if you want that for the injury paranoia, you can take that. But I am going to go with the uh, actual team total because I do think that Walrenka is going to be more comfortable on hard court, and I do think that Zapata Marias is once again abysmal here when healthy, and he's not healthy. Now, of course, if Zapata Marias does copy the same exact script as Malaga and Paris, then this bet's void, because if he retires mid-match, we get refunded. It is what it is. It would suck, but I think the value is there at 8.5. I don't see Zapata Marias winning more than four games in each set, uh, Warenka to win in straight sets is basically minus 170. So you're taking him to win in a more comfortable version of straight sets at a solid price of minus 125. That's good enough for me. Plus, if there is a set that does feature, for example, a tie break, if there is a 7-6 or maybe a 7-5, you're not totally out of it because, as I said before, you have seen Zapata Marias get buried in sets repeatedly. In fact, he has lost one set by 6-2 or greater in each of the last three matches. So I think you're looking at, once again, what could be a blowout set, and if that's the case, you have a lot of wiggle room for what could be a competitive set. I realistically see some type of 6-3, 6-3 final, if I had to guess, but as a result, I am going to go with the uh, the under 
for the Zapata Marias team total at eight and a half as my lock. And for my dog, I am going to go to what looks like the most competitive match in the first round. I'm going to go to Giron against Sonigo. And I think I am going to go with the over two and a half sets at plus 130. Simply put, I see what should be a close matchup. Now, Giron has been in pretty good form lately. Did lose to Umbert pretty early on in Paris. It was in France. I get it. It's not a great spot. But he did beat Lahovich in three. Did beat Kepfer in a competitive match. Uh, lost to Umbert in Basel in three. Played against Shelton. One in three there. Uh, lost in three there. But the point is that Giron has gone to a third set in three of his last five matches. Now, Sonigo has not played much tennis recently because he ended up losing in Stockholm, then ended up playing in Vienna, was a lucky loser qualifier, then ended up beating Sarandolo, the good one, in three sets before getting buried by uh, Sinner, and then he lost in three sets to team in Paris. But you're looking at what I think should be a pretty entertaining matchup. I think Giron is alive to win it, obviously because I picked him to win the tournament at 20-1. to But I do think that you're looking at Sonigo as the defending champion to show some comfortability because he has a title here. The point is, Sonigo has proven that he's comfortable at this particular venue. Giron's been in better form recently. I think it's going to balance out, and I think you're going to see a three-set marathon here. So give me the over, two and a half sets at plus 130. So once again, the lock and lock for the show. The lock is going to be on Zapata Mariah's team total under eight and a half games, minus 125, and the dog will be Giron and Sonigo over two and a half sets at plus 130. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. A reminder, we'll back once again on either Monday evening or Tuesday morning, early Tuesday morning, for the preview of Sophia. Until then, though, find me on a bunch of podcasts of the network. Find me on the NBA show, the NFL show. You get the point. Until next time, though, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.